Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. We are recording this on January 30th, a Tuesday, as we do every Tuesday. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Find Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL and read us at kslsports.com. Subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate you doing it. We do record it every single Tuesday uh, throughout the year, not just the jazz season, but uh, ideally throughout the year. And a big show today. We will talk about the jazz road trip they are on. Look back at their last four games since we last recorded. Look forward to their three games ahead, all very difficult contests for the Utah Jazz, uh, two of them which will be played at home. They'll wrap up their road trip tonight against the New York Knicks. Uh, A little bit of weekly news. We'll talk about all-star stuff because uh, on Thursday the Jazz uh, will find out if they have any all-stars named to the reserve squad, and then uh, we can uh, take a look at uh, the Jazz grades as we like to every week. We grade the veterans, the young players, the standings, and the fun factor, and then we answer your mailbag questions, my favorite part of the show every single week. Uh, Hey, make sure and subscribe to the Utah Jazz Newsletter. Uh, If you're hearing this, a big part of that is the Utah Jazz Newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday. It gets mailed to you in your email before uh, the content hits the website. So you you get a little unique access to early content. You can do that at kslsports.com. All right, Chandler, let's look at the last four weeks. The Jazz play the New Orleans Pelicans, the Washington Wizards, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, the Jazz went 2-2 two and two in the last week. They started off with a blowout loss to the New Orleans Pelicans and then uh, back-to-back wins over some of the Eastern Conference bottom feeders, Washington and Charlotte, uh, a 15-point win over Washington and then 12 over Charlotte, and then another blowout loss to end the week against Brooklyn. They won the games that they were supposed to win. Uh, the Brooklyn game was the one that we sort of thought could have went either way, but didn't go the way for the Jazz this week. Two and three start to this uh, six-game road trip for the Jazz. They've actually been good on the road recently. I mean, you can go back to that five-game road trip in late December that we talked about. Like, this probably determines whether or not they need to start to tank the season or try and win the rest of the way. And they kind of figured it out. They went three and two on that trip, and then they had that really tough road trip in Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee, and they go two and three. Now they're three and two. They are eight and seven in their last 15 home games. like Or road games, excuse me. Above 500, which was not where we thought this team would be, uh, I'm, I'm just going to assume they lose tonight. Knicks, second out of a back-to-back. Knicks are the hottest team in the NBA right now. I could easily be wrong because the Jazz have stunned me all year on the road, especially since December 1st or December 15th, middle of the year. So I don't know what to expect tonight. But even if they lose tonight, they're 500 over these really long, this big swath, this big sample size of road games. So they're playing fine, you know. And even if they come back from this two and four, I had told you I thought it was more likely they go four and two than two and four. They lose in overtime to the Rockets, hammered by the Pelicans, sneak out a couple of road wins over bad teams. Even if you lose in Brooklyn, New York, like it's fine. It's not ideally what uh, I think Jazz fans had hoped for, but it's fine in that sense. So you come back and you play twenty of your final thirty-three games in Salt Lake City. Like you know, you can't go one and three on every road trip. You you can't win. 25% of your games or even 33% of your games away from home uh, the rest of the way and expect to make the playoffs. But if they're even close to 500 with how good they are in Salt Lake City, like the Jazz realistically could coast into the play-in tournament if they don't blow it up at the trade deadline. Yeah, definitely. I want to go back and look at these losses. In the two wins over Washington and Charlotte, the Jazz shoot above 50% from the floor. They had more rebounds um, in both games, which is a recipe to win. But then in the two losses, New Orleans had 19 more rebounds and 14 more assists than the Jazz. Against Brooklyn, Utah had six less rebounds, 18 less assists, and nine more turnovers. So those are just recipes to get blown out. Yep, they are. Here's what's brutal about the Jazz road trip the rest of the way, the rest of their road games. Like, I'm just pulling this up. How many wins do we think the Jazz get the rest of the year? Again, I said they only have 13 road games after tonight in New York, but let's even include New York as the 14th. Okay, Knicks, you're not going to be favored. Suns, you're not going to be favored. At Atlanta, you will probably be favored. Orlando, you won't be. 
Miami, you won't be. Denver, you won't be. OKC, you won't be. Dallas, you won't be. Houston, you won't be. Sacramento, you won't be. Clippers, you won't be. Warriors, maybe, if they've totally fallen off. Clippers, you won't be. And Warriors, again. Like, there is not this... You're not playing the Hornets again. You're not playing the San Antonio Spurs. You're not playing the lowest teams of the league. So, man, you look at... Yeah, if you can play 500 basketball on the road, you're going to coast into the the play-in tournament, like I said, but there's nowhere to coast. There's no off games. All those road games are tough, with the exception of maybe the Atlanta Hawks. You're going to have to beat, you know, Orlando or Miami. You're going to have to split those. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to find a way to like go two and three or two and one on a road trip that has stops in OKC, Dallas, and Houston. It's like it gets really tough all of a sudden for the Utah Jazz. So uh, it's a lighter road schedule, but it's a very tough stretch of games. Even though uh, disproportionately, you're going to be playing in Salt Lake City. Uh, and if you look at the last eight games for the Utah Jazz, including two of their last uh, four games, they lost by 29 or more. They lost by in Boston by 29 on January 5th. They lost uh, in New Orleans by 29, and then they just lost by 33 to a Nets team that is not very good, had only won three games since Christmas before last night's victory. Yeah, that actually uh, reminded me. I wanted to look at the Jazz uh, performance against the better teams in the NBA because okay. last week uh, they beat the two, like I said, Eastern Conference bottom feeders, two of the worst teams in the league, and then had huge losses to teams that, that Jazz fans were hoping they could pull out a win in, but they ultimately didn't. The Jazz are 10-17 and 17 against top 15 teams. They're 5-11 and 11 against top 10 teams, and that includes the win over Philadelphia with no Embiid and the win over Milwaukee with no Lillard. All of the next five games leading up to the trade deadline are against those top 15 teams. Yeah, the Jazz are an interesting spot. They're at 500 right now. You get New York, Philly, and we can just bleed this into what's coming up this week for the Utah Jazz. New York tonight, Philly on Thursday. That's now a TNT game. Maybe you don't get Joel Embiid again because uh, they're trying to avoid a $100,000 fine because they bizarrely rested him against Denver and didn't announce it. He didn't play last night in Portland either. They got blown out, right? I mean, they, I think they got smoked by the Trailblazers. And then... Uh, and then they play Milwaukee again. So that's a tough week for the Jazz. And then they wrap up uh, as they get ready for the trade deadline. Or uh, Tuesday, February 6th, that's next week, against Oklahoma City. And then the 8th, which is the trade deadline, I believe, right, is uh, against the Phoenix Suns. So a murderer's row of teams for the Utah Jazz coming up. Uh, what are we thinking for this next week? New York, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee? Maybe 1-2? and 1-2 and two is probably the most realistic. If you go two and one, you're really happy. I, I don't know what to make of Milwaukee yet. You know, you've got Doc Rivers taking over. You would think ideally they would start playing a little bit better because they, uh, they they feel like they've got a little bit more freedom because clearly they weren't getting along with Adrian Griffin as the head coach. But Knicks, second night of a back-to-back, who are playing well. Sixers are tough. Bucks are going to be tough. Yeah, one and two is probably most realistic. You're really happy if you go two and one. Also, let's not forget, even though Lillard wasn't playing, that win over Milwaukee earlier in the season was one of the better wins of the season for the Jazz. Yeah, no question. That was a good win. That was a good win. Lillard has not been Damian Lillard of Portland in Milwaukee this yes. year. Like he is not the bellwether for whether or not they're going to play well or not. Uh, he's very, he's very good. He's an All Star, but he's not like he's not that superstar. They're going to win every game that he's on the floor this year. So that's that's the issue for them. Uh, should we touch on a little bit of Utah Jazz news this week? Kind of light, nothing yeah. too huge. Uh, the Golden State game that got rescheduled due to the uh, unfortunate tragedy, the death of the assistant coach here in Salt Lake City, has been moved to February fifteenth. So. Uh, Going into the trade deadline, the Jazz have an extra game, and it's actually on the second night of a back-to-back now. Yep. Um, and then the second piece of news, the Jazz have scrapped the highlighter uh, yellow jerseys, the Icon Edition, for the rest of the year. They were planning on wearing them 11 times this year, and then the six times they were supposed to wear them in the first half of the season got cut down to one, and then when uh, Utah announced the jerseys for the rest of the year, totally gone. 
So they only wore them once this year. Yes. I like the yellow jerseys. Lowry Markinen likes the yellow jerseys. So I, I didn't understand that. I know Jazz fans hate them. I kind of like them, but whatever. I, mean, yeah. I don't care about jerseys, to be honest with yes. you. I, but I know fans do. It's it's one of the ways that they interact and identify with the team. So I think overall Jazz fans were happy with this. And you know what? I, I guess if you're listening to your fans, that's not a bad thing. True. If you, I don't, you don't need to argue against that, even if I like them. You don't need to argue against that. And, yeah, a rebrand will come in the next couple of years because look at every team. Yep. No team wears this. Other than the teams that have, like, the classic jersey, the Bulls, the Knicks, that ha- the Celtics that have, like, their jersey, the Lakers that they always go to, everyone's introducing new jerseys every couple of years. So even if you hated this, this run of jerseys for the Utah Jazz, it was not going to be permanent. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, let's do an experiment or, or uh, we'll, we'll look around the league. Is Lowry Markinen going to be named an all-star reserve? Coming up on Thursday, I think you and I probably both agree. Like he's his resume is good enough to make an All Star game, but that doesn't mean anything because there are so many good players. Does he make the All Star game? We'll talk about that coming up next. We'll tell you what some of the national outlets said. Uh, we'll uh, grade the Utah Jazz over the last week, and then we will get you to your mailbag questions. Stick around. It's the Jazz Notes podcast. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes Podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. All right, Chandler. Thursday, the uh, NBA All-Stars are reserved. First of all, do you have it pulled up? Do you want to talk about the uh, NBA All-Star starters? Can you tell us yes. who that is so uh, we know they are not eligible to be named a reserve? Uh, yes. Yeah, so first thing, uh, the NBA is going back to the East-West format. It's no longer going to be captains picking their teams. There still are captains. It's LeBron James for the West and Giannis for the East. Um, and then following suit on the West, we have Luka Doncic. Kevin Durant, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Nikola Jokic. And then on the East, we have Joel Embiid, Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard, and Jason Tatum. We are, with all due respect to Shea, who deserves it more this year, but we are Steph Curry away from that being the best starting five in any All-Star game ever. Yeah. Like, LeBron's, in a lot of arguments, the best player of all time. If not, he's never worse than number two. Yep. Uh, Steph, I think, is top ten. I don't think there's actually a question about that. A lot of people think Kevin Durant's the greatest scorer in NBA history. I disagree. LeBron actually has the title. Like yeah. <laughs> LeBron and Michael was better, has a higher point-per-game average. Nikola Jokic, I think, has a real chance to end up his career as like a top 15 player of all time. Definitely. Uh, and maybe has a has a real argument to be the greatest international player of all time. Like He could very easily surpass Hakeem Olajuwon or Dirk Nowitzki in that conversation. Uh, and then Luka's also in that group. Yep. Like, Luka might be the best guard we've ever seen, not named, you know, Michael Jordan. Like, he's yeah. he's putting himself into that Magic Johnson conversation. He's got to win titles. I'm not saying he's there yet, but his numbers are outrageous. You put Steph in that group, and you have this list that we look back at in 15 years or 20 years and say the NBA's never been better than 2023, which we don't feel that way, but you want to drum up nostalgia for the great years LeBron's an all-timer, KD's an all-timer, Nikola's going to be an all-timer, Luka's going to be an all-timer, and Steph's an all-timer. Yes. You could have had all five of them in the starting lineup. Uh, I hope, because I do think Steph's going to be named a reserve, I hope that Steph and those other four get on the floor at the same time and we can kind of just enjoy that as basketball fans. I think that there's a there's a guard question on each side. I, I do agree that Steph Curry has the resume to replace SGA on the West. And then looking at the East, Damian Lillard is averaging 25, 6.8, and 4. Like, those are good stats, but I think Jalen Brunson deserves that spot. Jalen Brunson or Donovan. Yes. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs have really turned the, the corner after losing Darius Garland uh, and, and losing Evan Mobley, where I thought they would fall off a cliff. Uh, and he's actually got the, the Cavaliers playing great right now, and he's averaging 27, 6, and 5. Like, yeah, he's he's been better than Dame this year. Yeah. No question about it. And as much as Donovan is a non-defender, he's a better defender than Damian Lillard. True. <laughs> and then Jalen Brunson absolutely should be there. Yes. Jalen Brunson should be starting. 
Uh, so they whiffed. But he's uh, Dame's a big name there, and I get he was the big acquisition of the offseason. But that was the mistake. And Shea should be there. Shea might be the leading candidate for sure. MVP right now. Uh, but for my uh, my own nostalgia, I would have preferred to see Steph. Okay, the big question for Utah Jazz fans. Is Lowry Markinen going to make the uh, All-Star game in the West? He did not perform well among uh, voting in the Western Conference. Lowry, I don't think, even finished top 10, right, in the no. in the Western Conference voting yeah, of any kind, but certainly not in the front court. So let's go through these really quick. I picked kind of the six major national outlets, and just we're going to run down whether or not they have chosen Lowry Markinen to be in the game. Because as we mentioned, you know, Lowry, if you pull up his resume this year, the Jazz are a 500 team, which is basically good enough to be in the play-in tournament. If you're that good, you generally have an all-star. He's averaging 24 points a game. Nine rebounds, two assists. He's basically shooting 50-40-90. He's at 49% from the floor, 40% from three, 87% from the free throw line. All-star numbers. Definitely. He he hits the benchmark statistically to be an all-star, and the Jazz's team is good enough for him to be an all-star. But the West is loaded this year, and there are a lot of these legends still playing, so it's going to make it difficult for him to get in. Uh, Sporting News was just the first outlet I picked. Do they have Lowry Markkinen in? They do not. Uh, for the West Reserves, they had Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, and Anthony Davis. No marketing. Uh I'm a full believer in the Clippers, which I get bit by every single year. But if you wanted to put Kawhi and PG in, I get it. Booker and the Suns are surging all of a sudden. Booker and KD are the two best players there. Anthony Davis is a better player than Lowry Markkinen. And Rudy Gobert's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. So, like, winning DPOY and not being in the All-Star game is a really bad look for the NBA uh, so I don't have any problem with them leaving Lowry off of that list. There's just not that many spots. True. And you know what I like? I, I don't want the NBA to expand to 15 players on the All-Star team. I, I, I like that it's a little bit elite. Yes. I like that these guys who have made eight All-Star games in their career, you're like, man, that, that was a representation of how elite they were. These guys who make one-offs, you know, B.J. Armstrong made it in the 90s. It's like, well, he wasn't very good. Yeah. Okay. He, you're right. He wasn't very good. Andre Kirilenko made one. He was good. He wasn't every year one of the best players in the NBA. So you acknowledge that he was good one time, kind of mattered, but wasn't one of the elite forwards in the NBA throughout the uh, 2020 or 20-aughts. And that's that's absolutely right. So I like that the All-Star game is very hard to make. Uh, The Athletic. No marketing. They have in the front court their reserves Kawhi, Rudy Gobert. They have Alperin Shengun, which is a little bit of a surprise. And he's been fabulous. I mean, we saw him smoke the Jazz last week. Yes. But... The Jazz are above the Rockets in the standings at the yep. moment. So you've got a sub-500 team getting a young player on who only plays one side of the floor in Alperin Shingun. And then their wild cards, they've got Anthony Davis and Devin Booker. Again, I understand that. Yes. Uh, all right, Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report does have Markinen. Uh This is by Andy Bailey, who actually has some Utah ties. I'm not saying he's biased in that sense, but he's had some Utah ties. He does have Lowry Markinen in his spot. He says the final spot's probably the toughest call in the entire exercise. The West is loaded with talent. He said the others who uh, he put marketing in front of are James Harden, Shingun, Chet Holmgren. He doesn't have Paul George. He doesn't have Kyrie. He doesn't have De'Aaron Fox. He doesn't have Victor Wembanyama. He doesn't have Cat. He doesn't have Jamal Murray. He doesn't have C.J. McCollum. He doesn't have Zion Williamson. And he doesn't have Rudy Gobert. Again, I think that's important to mention. Like, if Rudy doesn't make it, you can say he got snubbed, but, like, so did De'Aaron Fox, who's averaging 30 points a game. So did Rudy Gobert, who's going to win DPOY. So did Zion Williamson, who was the number one overall pick, and all of a sudden the Pelicans are one of the better teams in the NBA. So did Paul George, who's a perennial all-star, and the Clippers are great. 
So did James Harden, who's a future Hall of Famer. There's so did Chet Holmgren, who's on the do the Thunder still have the best record in the West, or did they lose that when they lost to Detroit? They did lose that. They're third now, okay. one game away from the first seed. And Chet has been arguably their second best player, if it's not Jade Up. So Kyrie's a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, De'Aaron, there, there's a lot of good players that are not going to make the Western Conference All Star team this year. That's why I wouldn't necessarily, you know, if I'm a Jazz fan, feel like everyone hates Utah and they hate you specifically. Why they didn't put Lowry Markkinen in? It's a loaded, uh, it's a loaded group. All right, TNT, this actually represents four different people because it's EJ, uh, uh, Ernie Johnson, EJ, Shaq, Kenny, and, of course, uh, Sir Charles. And none of the four named Markkinen. Uh, here's who Ernie Johnson has, Steph, Anthony Edwards. Again, he's not even starting. Anthony yeah. Edwards is the best player on – do they have the best or the Nuggets have the best? Um, Who's got the best record in the West? Best record in the West is Minnesota. Is Minnesota, right and they beat the Thunder last night. So, yeah, they've got Anthony Edwards isn't even starting. Nope. He's the best player on the best team in the West. That's how tough the, the West is right now. Yep. Kawhi, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Book, and Sabonis. Shaq has Steph, Edwards, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Book, and Sabonis, uh, identical to Ernie Johnson. Kenny Johnson has the same people except for he has De'Aaron Fox instead of Sabonis, and uh, Charles has uh, Fox instead of Booker. So, But none of them have Lowry marketing. CBS Sports. CBS also has no marketing. And then we know the familiar names now, and The Ringer. Has marketing. Okay. So we've got six different national outlets. Two of them have Lowry. Four of them don't. A couple of people have Lowry right there as a toss-up. I, I, I suspect he doesn't make it. Yes. I, I agree because when you look at the bench, there's also a at least two, if not more, that are locks to be in the reserve, and that is Steph Curry and Anthony Edwards. If he's going to make it, he's making the wild card. Yes. And the wild card is hard because then you're no longer just competing against forwards in the Western Conference. You are up there with everybody else. I would be very surprised if he makes it. That doesn't mean the Jazz won't have any representation at the All-Star Weekend. I would think Keontae George plays in the Rising Stars Challenge. I would think Walker Kessler probably plays in the Rising Stars Challenge. Maybe Lowry gets a a three-point shooting contest nod. Yeah. But is Lowry this guy now in the NBA who's like, if I'm not an All-Star, I'm not going to All-Star Weekend? True. He may feel like, hey, I'm if I will take the week off. I did the military all summer. Like, let me hang out with my wife and kids and do my like F1 video games or whatever his thing <laughs> is that he likes to do. That might be what Lowry Markinen chooses. So, uh, my guess, we're not talking about an All-Star in Lowry Markinen on Thursday, but it's it's pretty close to a toss-up. Yes, he, he's certainly done everything he needs to to put himself in the conversation. Had he not missed seven games early and the Jazz were three games above 500, I would tell you he's a lock. But there's a really good chance, and I don't know when the coaches have to have their final uh, ballots turned in, but like if the Jazz lose tonight and they're below 500 and they're trying to determine like who gets this final spot, looking at a team that's below 500 is an easy way to leave Lowry Markkinen off in favor of Devin Booker or in favor of Anthony Davis for those final two wildcard spots. Okay, let's talk about uh, Jazz grades. For the last week, we like to uh, go over what they've done. How do the veterans play? How do the young players play? How do they look in the standings? And then we uh, look at the most important part for fans. Was it a fun week? Yes. Has this basketball team been any fun to watch? Uh, the veterans over the last four games for the Utah Jazz, Colin Sexton had been really good and then had his worst game of the season. Yesterday against the Nets, he was atrocious. One of ten. Looked like he took the game personally and yeah. then didn't show up. Like the way... Donovan Mitchell always tried to have big games in Brooklyn and New York because he was from the area and then always inevitably seemed to play very poorly. Uh, John Collins was good. Jordan Clarkson was fine throughout the week. And, uh, of course, Larry Markkinen was Larry Markkinen. Yes. He's, he's, every week he's like, oh, yeah, 20, 10, and 5. <laughs> 20, 10, and 2. And uh, perfect shooting percentages. Larry's just he's just a, a very high-level player. Thoughts? Um, I want to go back to that Nets game because when you look at the starting lineup, 
John Collins was the leading scorer with 15. Yeah. Right. Keontae George had 21 off the bench. Um, Lowry I, was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Lowry was bad as well. Um, honestly, maybe worst game of the year for Lowry. One of them, if not. Um, I would say two and two week. You have to take that into account because veterans, like we've said all year, are the people who win you games. Um, I'm going to go with a B minus. Yeah. I would say C plus B minus yeah. right in there. The veterans, when the Jazz needed them to show up, didn't show up. Yep. Uh, Lowry was bad in New Orleans. Colin was not good in New Orleans. And then they were both bad in uh, Brooklyn as well. So, yeah, I think I- I'm going to go C+. I think even in the Bs is, is a little generous for a team that won two games that they could have rolled out of bed. Yes. I mean, Jazz probably didn't need those guys in those wins, and they still would have won those games. Uh, young players. You know, Keontae George bounced back really well in Definitely. Brooklyn. And, and it didn't matter because the Jazz weren't going to win that game. But he played legitimately well. He had, what, 21 points on 11 shots? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really high-efficiency number. The one thing I really like about Keontae George's game is that he just gets to the free-throw line a ton. Yes. Like, man, you look at the best scorers in NBA history, the Dwayne Wades, the Kobe's, the KD's, they just live at the foul line. It's crazy. He averaged the most free-throws on the team over the last four games, six and a, six and a half a game. And he only plays 23 minutes. Like, he absolutely milks the line. And now where early in the season he was shooting like 64%, he's 88.5% over his last uh, four games, and that number is is growing. And and even if you're inefficient as a scorer, if you get to the free throw line, that number skyrockets. So he wasn't great. His field goal percentage was only 33%. Three-point percentage was under 30. Gets to the free throw line, and that really will help your averages. And I think arguably he had one of his top four games of the year. So, I mean, Walker was fine. Walker didn't jump out at me at all. I would say, yeah, probably B plus. B, yeah. Or not B plus, maybe B, B minus. Yeah, I like that. Um, Simone Fontecchio, he had a good start to the week. He had 18 points on six for nine shooting against the Pelicans and then 10 points against the Wizards. Um, but like you said, Keontae had a good bounce back and Walker was middle of the pack. Um, I agree. I think I think a B minus would be good there. Okay, so I think a C plus for the veterans. I think a, a B minus for the young guys. Some ups, some downs. Yeah. Uh, but one of the better games for Keontae George this year. I think is solid for him. Uh, where are the Jazz in the standings? Uh, right now, the Jazz are tenth at twenty-four and twenty-four. Uh, they're actually tied with the Lakers, who are in ninth at nine and a half games from the first seed. Um, and then they're a game in front of the Houston Rockets. Considering the Lakers lost to the Rockets last night, I think the Jazz had some winnable games. I thought Brooklyn was a winnable game, and they just absolutely no showed. Uh, I'm gonna go. I might just go with a C here, and I hate I, to just be middle ground when you go two and two, but like. We knew the Jazz were going to beat the Wizards. We knew they were going to beat the Hornets. It's like, could you excel? Could you rise above a little bit and beat one of these other teams? And the truth is, if they had gone 3-1, and one, I might have bumped them up to an A or an oh, A-, yeah. minus, and they just didn't do it. And, and, in fact, they just got blasted. Torched. By these teams. So, uh, yeah, C, and even a C might be generous because you only beat the teams you were supposed to beat that, that weren't trying. Yeah, exactly. I 100% agree. You beat two teams who are two of the worst teams in the league. Those are expected wins, and you couldn't keep the games that should have been competitive competitive. So I think a C is perfect. But the good news for the Jazz, uh, even with their so-so week, they're only two and a half games back of the Pelicans and two and a half games back of the of the Mavericks for the seventh seed. So it's not like they lost a ton of ground and are four games back. Uh, you know, you're trying to fend off the Rockets who are trying to get that last play in tournament spot. Man, the Warriors just aren't figuring out. They're three and seven no. in their last ten. Yeah, they got uh, Draymond back, but they're not winning a lot of games. They lost that double overtime thriller to the Lakers, uh, and they are two and a half games back of the Jazz. So the Jazz still have a little bit of breathing room before they fall back into that you know twelfth, thirteenth seed, etc. So yeah, fine, not great. And then the fun factor, I'd say pretty low. Yeah, this pretty might low. be a D. I was I was about to say because like 
like you said, the two wins, they were they were fine. They were double-digit wins. But against Charlotte, weren't you up by like 30 points or 20 points yeah. at halftime? And then it goes all the way down to 12. So they made that game close. I, I can't – there's not any super memorable highlights that are sticking out to me that were super fun. I agree. I think a D. Yeah. Even the, the game that I think, you know, Jazz fans might have enjoyed watching, which was Keontae George playing well, it was buried uh, amid a dreadful loss. Yes. Pelican's loss was truly unwatchable. And, yeah, the second half they absolutely coasted in Charlotte. So they played – Six quarters of decent basketball all week? Yeah. Yeah, D. That's pretty bad. Uh, that was not a great week. They need to turn around because, as we mentioned, uh, the three games they have coming up, New York, Philly, and Milwaukee, you can't play six quarters of good basketball no. and expect to win any of those games. Absolutely not. Uh, you've gotta, you're going to have to to lace it together pretty well uh, and play a lot better. All right. Let's go to the uh, Utah Jazz mailbag. As always, we send out this prompt every Tuesday. I usually do it around 11 o'clock, so follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I tag Chandler in it, at Chandler Holt KSL. Uh, so if you want to ask questions and have them answered either in the mailbag or in our mailbag story, make sure to follow us on Twitter. And when you see that, respond when we ask. All right, Chandler, what do we have? Uh, first up, this is something we talked about a little bit last week uh, from Canon Law. Should the Jazz pursue DeJounte Murray? If so, what kind of package would we send and how does he change the team? I, I would buy low on DeJounte Murray. You know, if you can convince the Hawks that a Maybe a, a single first-round draft pick, like next year's Timberwolves draft pick, which I think is not going to be very good. It should be in the mid to late 20s. And two expiring contracts, which obviously would be Kelly Olynyk and Taylor Horton Tucker. Like, if they can't get a better offer than that, sure. But I'm not going to go beat another team's offer. And I think teams are going to line up to get DeJounte Murray. Yes, definitely. That's, that's the big thing is that the Jazz are not one of the teams that are in buy-now mode, right? Like the Golden State Warriors, even though they would not pursue DeJounte and the Lakers. Um, so if anything, like they did for um, John Collins, they would lowball and just hope that there isn't any better offer on the table. Um, but uh, another thing that's interesting about the DeJounte Murray situation, according to Mark Stein, uh, head coach Quinn Snyder has been lobbying to keep DeJounte to in keep town. Him. Yes. Um, but how would he change the team? Um, I think last week we said he was sort of like a like he brings what Colin Sexton does, but just a little bit better. Um, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe he's better than Colin Sexton. I don't know if he is. So, like, are you are you doubling down on a guy who's just gonna drop Colin Sexton back to being like a fourteen point per game scorer because yeah. he just takes up all those possessions and you're losing a first round draft pick? Like, I actually don't think Dejounte makes that much sense no. unless you like secretly behind the scenes hate Colin Sexton, which I don't think is the case no. at all. And you're just like, Every- everyone thinks he's good. Unload him. Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, and nor is like, and Dejounte's kept his nose clean in the NBA. He's never been like a, a head case. I know he kind of got some grief for wanting out of uh, San Antonio, but it's like everyone's wanted out of San Antonio. Yeah, like Kawhi wanted out of San Antonio. These guys aren't vibing with Greg Popovich very well or whatever's going on behind the scenes there. Now, maybe Will Hardy loves DeJounte Murray because he was his coach in San Antonio for several years, and he says, like, that's the guy. I promise you I can unlock him. Uh, But otherwise, like, DeJounte Murray's not this lockdown defensive player Mm -hmm. that Colin Sexton isn't. Like, there's not this huge switch off of what DeJounte does that Colin Sexton doesn't already do for you. So unless it was, yeah, absolutely a steal and low-cost and you were just thinking it's a chance to flip somebody later for a better a better asset. I I, I would probably stay away from Dejounte Murray. Uh, next up from Glenn Anderson, uh, what would you put uh, the line at for how many Jazz players are traded at the deadline, and what's your best detailed guess at what happens for the Jazz at the deadline? I'd like one and a half. I was about to say one and a half. Yeah, which is a lot. Still, you're shaking it up, and now the question is, is like, is that a rotation player? 
Is it Taylor Horton Tucker, who I would be surprised if he has value? But again, we've talked about Taylor. Maybe there's a team who doesn't want to pay $20 million over the next two years. So $10, $10 million average each season. And the Jazz say, well, we will keep this expiring asset alive. We can't get anything for Taylor Horton Tucker this year, but maybe next year having another expiring contract has value. So that's one right there. If you wanted to, if you wanted to do that, and th- there's a reason Kelly Olynyk's name continues to float around. Yeah. Like Kelly is generating a lot of interest. Teams are going to call, and if the Jazz feel like there's a move that makes them better, or they get a draft pick, I think they would do it. But if they don't feel like they're adding an extra asset, I don't think they're going to just get worse to get worse. I don't see the Jazz doing it. I think they either want a real asset or a player who they think can help them long term. They're not just going to give Kelly Olynyk away just because he's expiring and it doesn't make sense to keep him around. Um, for best detailed guess, uh, do you think maybe Clarkson is in those conversations as well? I'm sure yeah. people are calling about Clarkson. And again, you know, I believe the Knicks would be a great destination for him. I, w- I personally have loved covering Jordan Clarkson. I think he's really enjoyable. I think he's been great for the community in the state of Utah. I would love personally to turn on my television on an ABC playoff game on a Sunday and have Jordan Clarkson electrifying Madison Square Garden. Like, as a basketball fan, yes. which I I am a huge basketball fan, watching a Sunday afternoon Jordan Clarkson getting the crowd in Madison Square Garden on their feet, I think is great. Because I like the Knicks. I like the that New York is the mecca of basketball. And I think Jordan Clarkson really fits into, like, what their persona is. So if Jordan Clarkson got moved, like I would hope he would go there for me as a fan to be able to root for basketball because that's just like a dream scenario of cool guys in cool cities in cool environments. Um, but yeah, I don't. Jordan Clarkson is difficult. Yeah. Jordan Clarkson's biggest value, other than he's a good player, is that his contract is twenty five million dollars this year and drops to like twelve next year. Like you get an expiring contract in Jordan Clarkson that's not expiring. Yep, he's still on your team and you cut thirteen million dollars in salary. It's pretty. It's a great structure from the Jazz. And they did that specifically with the idea that he has some real trade value this season uh, for a team that wants to cut salary and also add a player. So they wouldn't have structured his salary that way if they weren't looking at potentially trading with the deadline. Uh, Next up from Jared Crookston, what do you make of the extremes and the outcome of Jazz games recently? Lots of 140-point blowouts, both wins and losses. That they're not a very good team. Yeah. And, and, And I mean that really well. Very good. They're not a very good team. Not they're not a very good team. They're they're good, but they're not very good because very good teams don't lose by 30 three times in eight games. They just don't. And bad teams don't go. What are the Jazz? Five and three in their last eight? I'd have to pull it up. Maybe they're four and four, but like the bad teams aren't that bad. Yep. So they're they're just a middle-of-the-road team, and any night they can beat the Nuggets or they can beat the Bucks, and any night they can lose to the Nets by 40, which is a little bit dangerous. And this is kind of my weird question for the Jazz going to the trade deadline. Do they feel like they know who this team is? They were so bad to start the year. They were so good from December to January. Like, do they know if they need to add? Do they know if they need to subtract? Do they need more time to expand the sample size to say, like, what's the middle ground? The pendulum swung from so bad to so good. Where do you actually believe? And yes, we know they're in the middle of that, but where in the middle? That's a huge, that's a huge gap of really good and really bad. Like, where in the middle are you? Are you 500? Are you five games above 500? Because five games above 500 is like the seventh seed. Yep. Are you three games below 500? Because then you're the 12th seed and you're not, in the, you're not even close to the, the playing tournament conversation. So that's what's hard for the Jazz. The nice thing is you add talent, you probably know you go three or four games above 500. You subtract talent, you probably are five games below 500. And you can determine what you want the rest of the season to look like with a couple of little trades here and there. 
um, going back with the very good teams, one of their most prominent qualities is the fact that they're consistent. And I think that's one of the Jazz's biggest problems right now. And this is also easy to say because the Jazz are exactly 500 right now. But I agree with you. I think that the trade deadline could sort of make or break the Jazz season. It could set the tone for which direction they're trying to go. In that sense, where I've said it's difficult because you don't know what you, what you are, it might be easy because you say, well, we add, we get better. We subtract, we get worse. That's how Danny Ainge can look at it. Uh, what do you want to give up? Yeah. And then that, that becomes the question is, you know, how much are you actually confident you're getting better and where are the gaps on this team? Where do they, what are they able to add, you know, a big rangy two-way wing that fits in the front court next to Larry Markin? Okay, well, that's a huge question. You know, do you have somebody who can improve on Simone Fontecchio, who's had a fun year and has been better than maybe I expected, but, like, was just a nothing last night. Was was terrible in Brooklyn. Made some really horrible reads yeah. and, you know, isn't making shots. Ochai hasn't stepped up and taken that spot. So, like, you know, you could do something crazy and try and go get Andrew Wiggins. Does Andrew Wiggins make you a lot better? He's been awful this year, but... He was an all-star starter two years ago. Now, some of that's because he was in Golden State and yeah. he rigged the vote. But he was the, what, fourth best player on a championship team two years ago? Yeah, and in the actual like playoffs, specifically the finals, he was the second best player. Yeah, he was awesome. Yeah. So, like, can you – you could probably have him for cheap, like, more than – you can have him for cheaper than DeJounte Murray. Definitely. Like, you might honestly be able to get Andrew Wiggins for Jordan Clarkson straight up. $25 million for $25 million, and then the the – or the Warriors sell that on, well, 15 millions. They pay four times the luxury tax, right? Like, you trade Wiggins for Jordan Clarkson. And, and again, don't. this is not what I'm saying is going to happen. I've not heard this at all. But, like, they save $60 million in salary cap by trading for Jordan Clarkson, who's going to be better than what Andrew Wiggins has given them this year. Yep. And then you're betting, if you're Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck, that, like, hey, Wiggins is sick of this nightmare scenario that Golden State has devolved into, and we think playing next to Lowry and playing next to John Collins and playing next to Colin Sexton makes his life easy, and we just need him to be athletic and play defense and hit a couple of shots. And if he gets back to that, he's worth the money. Definitely. So those, you know, those are the types of conversations you could have if you're the Jazz that would probably make them better going forward for the rest of the year. Uh, next up from James McKinney, any thoughts on how the Cavs will be doing for the rest of the year? Does the Tristan Thompson suspension negatively affect how they fare for the rest of the year? And what do you think are the implications are for the 25 first round pick? Tristan Thompson doesn't matter. No. But they are getting Evan Mobley back and, DeJon- or, uh, and uh, Darius Garland's supposed to be back in the next week. So they were bad with those guys and really good without them. So, like, did those guys come back, make them bad again? Or did those guys come back and... They've figured all these things out. Specifically, the guy who's helped them is Sam Merrill uh, and is just cooking in the lineup and has given them a lot of floor spacing that they need. And that's kind of been their issue is not knowing who to play out there to make Donovan Mitchell's life easier. The hard part is when Darius Garland comes back, you're taking the ball out of Donovan Mitchell's hand. Like yeah. One of the reasons Donovan's been so good recently is he's been a point guard with Sam Merrill helping him create space. Now you're Darius needs the ball. It's some overlap. Evan Mobley is still young and still trying to come into his own as a star. Ideally, it should make them better. They are more yes. talented. I don't care about, again, I don't care about Tristan Thompson. But ideally, they should be better, but fit is just so important. And uh, yeah, they go back to having a small backcourt again and could easily get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. And that's maybe the ultimate takeaway I'd have is it doesn't matter what's going on this year. It matters what they do in the postseason. And if they get eliminated in the first round again, all the rumors about Donovan Mitchell being traded will jump to a 10. I would say they they simmered mid-year. They were kind of getting six, seven. Everyone was writing about it. Those guys get hurt. Everyone's like, absolutely, they're going to trade him. And then they take off and they play great. Okay, 
But if they're bad again and then they lose in the first round of the playoffs, then it's like it's even worse. It's like, well, we saw how good you could be in the middle of the year. You've got all these other problems around him. Maybe you need to make a trade. Uh, talking about fit, when the Cavs are fully healthy, they uh, they slide Isaac Okoro into that three spot, right? Um, of course, it is an option since Sam Merrill has been playing out of his mind to throw him into that starting lineup. But the problem with that is you have absolutely zero defense from the one to the three spot. Yep, you so, don't at all. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Isaac Coro is not very good. That's true. the problem for them. Is like I might just go with Sam Merrill and be like, well, at least he gives me something. Yeah. At least he gives me something I know every night is like floor spacing and shooting. And he's he's very Kyle Korver. I'm not just comparing him because he's a white guy, but like Kyle Korver was a smart team defender. He wasn't a good one-on-one defender, but he was usually in the right spot. He kind of moved well. He kind of knew where to stand as a, as as in defensive spacing to make life a little bit difficult. I think Sam can do a little bit of that. And if Isaac Okoro is not hitting shots, I don't really need him. Uh, last question here from Adam Ray King. Uh, when is the Jazz front office going to realize that if they're going to compete for a title, they need to actually compete for a title every year since experience is the best teacher? They need to learn for themselves what it'll take, not hope for an instant championship. Uh, I was told by somebody who is connected well to the organization that the Jazz know they're not going to, quote, tiptoe their way to a championship. They're going to have to kick the door down. Yeah. Uh, so they know that. They also said, yeah, they're not going to fall back into a title. They're not just going to hang around and then accidentally climb up there so from the jazz perspective i think they disagree not that they're going to have this one-year spike like the toronto raptors and all of a sudden you know they add Kawhi and they win the title but it is partly that like they're going to have to go out and make a splash add a guy or two and then hope that the rest of their team is good enough to win now that might be to your point where yeah you do want lowry marketing to be playoff tested you want colin sexton to be playoff tested and then when you drop the bomb of bringing the superstar player in those guys have been in the playoffs, and now Giannis or Joel or whoever the superstar pie-in-the-sky player lands in Salt Lake City is, they're ready to win right away. Yeah. But I don't think maxing out your assets with mid-level players just to make the postseason year in and year out is all that beneficial. Because we see teams do that and never actually break through. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It, it, it's a difficult balance. I do think, and I'm curious about this, with how dreadful Detroit is, how dreadful Charlotte is, with how dreadful the Wizards are. And the Wizards really just kind of started this, so maybe it's too early to throw them in this conversation. But these teams that have, like, tanked, tanked, and, like, we're going to do the long-term process tank, like, the pathway to getting back is so long for them now. They've let go of the rope for so long, I don't know how they get back into the conversation. I wonder if teams forget about the idea or, or shed the idea that, like, let's rebuild from the bottom up and do more what the Jazz are doing, which is rebuild from the middle out. It's be a... 38-win team, 35-win team, trade your stars, still hover around 35. Yeah, you're not winning 54, but you're not dropping down to 15. Try and stay in that 35-win range. You've got assets from trading your stars like you did with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and then use those assets to go from 35 to 50 and get back to 50 and then hope that that 50 is different than your last 50, 51-win team where the pieces just fit a little bit better and you have fewer weaknesses. Um, I think that the thought process in this question is a little bit flawed. I don't think that the Jazz are expecting to win a championship this year, next year, or maybe even the year after that. It's 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 about slowly improving, right? Last year, you missed the playoffs. Maybe this year, like we talked about, you can sneak into the play-in. And then next year, you keep improving, become a top-six seed, right? And then you get that playoff experience. Even when you look at the Raptors, even though it seems like they're a one-off because they trade for a superstar and get there, for basically most of the 2010s, they were pretty dominant in the Eastern Conference, but they just ran into LeBron James year after year after year, Yeah, right? So even though DeMar DeRozan led that squad 
2 through 12 remained more or less the same for that team, and mm -hmm. then they finally have that run, right? Um, so I think that, of course, no one is ever going to hope or even think that they can get an instant championship. It's about the the slow buildup. And I agree with you that the Jazz are doing this better than other teams like the Pistons where they're not having 10 to 15 win seasons. You know, they're staying around middle of the pack, still being competitive, and then hoping to just make small steps every year. I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, I think. And the Jazz haven't tanked. I mean, the yeah. Jazz haven't been uncompetitive. They, I forgot this. I, I was looking at the Jazz standings last year. They were 30 and 31 at the 61 game mark. Like, it's not like the Jazz, we kind of talked about them being dreadful over the second half of the season. Like, they didn't really pull the plug until the last 20 games. Yeah. And then I think they lost five straight or four straight at that point. And all of a sudden they were 30 and 35. And it's like, okay, no chance they're making the play in. Play all the young guys. Sexton didn't play at all. Clarkson rarely played. Lowry rarely played. Uh, so they really pulled the plug late. But, like, even then, they were a 500 team through the first two-thirds of the season last year. And some of that was coasting off of what they'd done really early in the season. But they were still having these stretches where they would go, you know, four and six over ten games. They weren't going two and eight every every ten games stretch. They, they were staying pretty competitive. They were staying pretty on top of it. And I, I had totally forgotten that as well. Yeah, the Jazz actually ended last year 2-11. and 11. They were 35-36 and 36 at one point. Yeah, right. Like, that's really late in the season. 35-36. and 36. 13 games left in the year is is less than a month of basketball, and they were like, cut it. Yep. Call it off. They're not winning games anymore. That's not what this season's about, and it benefited them getting the number nine overall pick, and yeah. we'll see if Taylor Hendricks can play. But, yeah, they were, like, they were close last year. Just by staying in it this year, they can make the play-in tournament, I think, if they want. So, to your point, you know, the Jazz aren't – the Jazz are competitive. Yeah. They are being competitive right now and keeping themselves kind of in that spot where they're in the conversation when the superstar player comes around. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. We're recording this on January 30th. Our next episode is going to be on February 6th, two days before the trade deadline. So we're going to be talking about Utah Jazz trades and other trades around the NBA. Yeah, there might already have been a trade done, or we will be in those final 48 hours where the rumors will really be jumping up. Plus, we'll know who the All-Star Reserves are. So make sure to subscribe to the Jazz Notes podcast. Follow us uh, on Twitter at Ben's Hoops, at Chandler Holt KSL, and of course at KSL Sports. We'll talk to you again next week.